0: documented.
1: Miracles happening today. Today we're super excited to have our guest. We have Megan Wright, definitely one of my favorite people in my entire life. The reason why we asked her to come is because she has a really great story. She's I remember telling her one time is that she's been such a reference point to my life because I'm like, man, Megan just goes and she's faithful and she's also down to earth and can have a good time. So she's what I want to be in life. So don't let us down. (laughs) Megan. I'm sorry. That's a terrible intro. But um, anyways, without further ado, take it away.
2: As Ray said, my name is Megan. I got saved when I was very young. My parents got saved in the 70s during the Jesus People Movement, and God really orchestrated their entire lives and brought them to Prescott, and um, they both got saved. And so they got married in church, and so I was born into a godly home. And when I was seven years old is when I gave my life to Jesus, and um, God really, really, really touched me. I had... A true conversion i had a boyfriend at school in seventh grade and uh, when you were seven when i was yeah sorry when i was seven and you know he kissed me at school and it was just might seem innocent but it really god convicted me <laughs> you know and we went to a church service it was wednesday night you know and we actually watched a movie it was an outreach movie you know and i had this revelation that oh my gosh I'm a sinner, you know, and um, and so I raised my hand and I went to the altar and I gave my life to Jesus and my mom prayed with me and I just was crying and I remember telling her when I got up from the altar like, oh my gosh, this whole weight of sin is just lifted off my life and I just, I had, you know, God really made Himself real to me, and so what that did is, you know, it's not to say that I didn't have struggles or you know things that I had to work through or whatever. But it really set a course for my life, you know. And that relationship with God, it became the most important thing to me. And um, I just, I wanted to serve Him. I wanted to do right. I just said, God, you know, I want to do something for you. I want to. So that was at seven, you know, you go through the years. I remember people asking me when I was really young, like my family and, you know, people, what do you want to do when you grow up? And my answer was always, Oh, I want to be a missionary's wife in Africa, you know? <laughs> just kind of like the the most extreme thing I could think of, I guess you could say. And um my aunts being the uh I don't know what the word would not feminist, but you know, 60s <laughs> women that they are.
0: <laughs> First wave feminists. <laughs> yes. <Yeah.
2: laughs> Which is always telling me, "Oh, honey, you don't have to be the wife. You can mm-hmm. be the pastor. You you know, you don't need a husband to do that." But, you know, it was just it kind of showed me that, you know, God had a plan for me and um I just wanted to do something for him. So I continued on um, when I was 13, which is, is when I met my husband. Um, we ga- we went to the same church. And um, when I was 13 years old, we met. It was his sister's wedding. He was outside decorating her car. And um, we started talking and we just formed like a relationship, I guess you could say at 13, um, we for, so from 13 to 16, we didn't talk on the phone or anything, you know, we never had outside con- like contact except at church, but we always, um, we're like magnets. We would just kind of find each other in service and talk to each other. And we formed a really good friendship and relationship in a way we would always say, oh, we're just friends, you know, we're not dating. We just like each other, you know? And, um, that was 13 to 16. So
0: I'm so curious. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you remember who told who first? Was there ever like this moment where you admitted to each other that you liked each other? Cause you're always playing it off. Like we're just friends.
2: I don't think so. I okay. think it was just kind of always like a known like, oh yeah, he likes me. And oh yeah, she yeah, likes okay. me, you know? And yeah, we just, like I said, it was mm-hmm. kind of like magnets, you know, we just kind of like met each other everywhere or, you know, it was just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but it's
0: cute. (laughs) It's chemistry.
2: (laughs) It's chemistry. Yeah. And one of the things we decided, I guess maybe subconsciously, and as we got older, we talked about it is just that, you know, we were going to do this right. We were going to do our relationship correctly. We were going to do it godly. And so when we were 16 is when we started going out in like fellowships With group, you would call him a group date, but that's not really what we called him. It was more like, "Hey, we're all going to Applebee's," and we'd end up sitting next to each other and talking to each Mm -hmm. other, you know, and just (laughs) continue to develop our, you know, relationship. Let's see. So that was like 16. Then when he turned 18, we were supposed to start officially dating, quote unquote, officially start dating, and we actually ended up breaking up on his birthday, which was (laughs) the day that we were supposed to start going out. And it was hard, you know, it really, you're young, you kind of feel like you have this idea of where your life is supposed to be going, you know, because even from a young age, I felt like this is the person I'm going to marry, you know, and and so it kind of just like blew up your whole plans, you know, and just the direction you thought you were going. And as a teenager, you know, As a girl, you know, it's just like a a breaking your heart sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But what it did is it really solidified my relationship with God in a way, because I would always tell girls in high school in you know, the youth that I am a complete person in God first and that he is my source and he is my substance and everything else in my life, every relationship, every person is just like an added blessing. And if all of those things get stripped away, then it's still God is my, my source, you know? And, and so it was, it was in a way, it was almost like God challenged me and said, is this still true? You know, this is what you tell people, but is this true in your life? Is this actually a reality? And so, um, and so it was like, I had to determine that, yes, this is still true, you know? And it was like, I had to continue to live my life, that God is my source in that. I have a plan and my destiny is through him and not people. And I mean, obviously people make a play a part in (laughs) it, but you know, and so, um, you know, I just really prayed through it a lot. I read my Bible a lot, just continued to do what I've been taught to do. And, and so it was hard, but you know, life continued. (laughs) And, um, we didn't, I mean, it was like a clean break. We wouldn't even you know, we all had the same friends, but we wouldn't even like talk to each other. Oh my god. <laughs> it made for some awkward, you know, yeah. moments. But and so about six months after we broke up, I started dating another guy in the church. And he was a nice guy and he went to church, but he wasn't totally surrendered to God. And I could tell, you know, after a little while and it was just, you know, trying to talk yourself to him, this is a good idea, you mm-hmm. know. But God really started dealing with me that, and he just kept pressing on my heart. This isn't right. And you know, it's not right, (laughs) you know? And so for a while, it was just like, I don't want to hurt him. You know, I don't want to go through the awkwardness of a relationship breakup, but God just really pushed on me. And he wanted to go in the military, which is a great thing if that's your calling, you know, but I knew that my destiny was linked to Prescott. And so I knew that that would remove me from Prescott. And so I ended up breaking it off with him, you know, and it was just like, God, I could, I knew as you, mm-hmm. when you become a Christian and you have a relationship with God, you learn the voice of God, Yes. you know, and what you have to do is you have to come to a point where you say yes to God. And so I remember I was praying about it a lot and you know God was really urging me that you need to listen to what I'm calling you to do. And so I I did. I ended that relationship. And so about six months later, after that, I had been praying, you know, God, I want to get married. I I wanna do something for you. And and so our my best friend is Rachel Heinberg and so Micah's best friend was Pastor Jonathan Heinberg, you know, and she just kept saying, you know, Micah was a really good they, guy to you. They were married already. They were married, yeah. Like so uh-huh. they were married, you know, and she kept saying, he was really sweet when you guys were together. And But to me it was just like, oh, that ship has sailed. We're not going down that road again, you know. Um, but we came full circle and they, <laughs> we ended up dating again. <laughs> and I think what's funny, interesting is um, the first time we talked was – October 10th of 1999. And then when we started talking again after like that year and a half break, it was like literally we had no conversation. And then it was on October 10th of 2004. So five years later to the day we started um, talking again. And, um, you know, it was just like this time, <laughs> you know, God. That's fun. Yeah, it was. And oh. I knew in my heart that that was right. I knew, I knew that, okay, this is. It was like a click that this is what God wants me to do, you know, and we came against opposition from family and just society in a way, you know, when I I was working at a bank and, you know, I say, oh, I'm getting married. And the first question is I was like, oh, are you pregnant? You know, and it's like, no, we're not, you know, um, a lot of push to, oh, well, you're so young. You need to establish your career. You need to establish a life. You need to do all these things. You know, but it was just, I knew that this was the direction that God wanted me to do um,
1: or to go. You know, go. What I always
0: think is interesting about that. Why would marriage stop you from that? Because I remember yeah. travel. And I do understand, like, once you introduce kids into the picture, like, it changes it and mm-hmm. stuff. But I always think it's like you can still build a life like with a spouse. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. This isn't, that's an enhancement. It's not like yeah. a pitfall, but I think yeah. that's
1: because that's how society sees marriage is like a ball and chain. Like now you can't do anything. Yeah. No, but yeah. it's such a lie. Yeah, like people,
0: married couples make way more
1: yeah. than single people. Yeah. Well, and then it's married
0: really- men make more than single men.
1: Yeah.
0: Like statistically, like across the board, I'm not saying there's not an anecdote out there, but, but it helps a relationship to get married. It's just funny.
2: I want to backtrack just a little bit because I think the theme in my life is hearing the voice of God and responding. And so um, when I was 18, actually, so I graduated high school and I was 17. And I started working a job like two weeks later, at Bank of America. And when I was working, I actually had the opportunity to go to college, they paid for it. So that was God directed my steps there. But one day when I was at work, 18 years old, my boss was reading about this program that the bank offered. And it was, you can buy a house, you know, no money down, we'll pay for your closing costs, we'll finance, you know, and God spoke to me and said, you need to buy a house. And so I was like, okay, I guess I need to buy a house, you know, and so mm-hmm. literally within like two weeks, I had a house, you know, and um, kind of funny, the day... I can't remember. It was the day of the closing. Micah and I had kind of reconnected. He moved me into the house. He helped me, you know.
1: It was
0: just He's like, ooh, funny. she's got a house now. He always says, All you right. bought
2: the house, but I paid for it. I'm like, yeah, kind of
0: true. <laughs> but you you it, but jumped on pays, the opportunity. Yeah
2: you know, and so it was like, but that actually plays a part in our future. I know. (laughs) So God spoke to me, you know, you need to buy this house. So I was able to do that. And um, so when we got married, I was 19. Like I said, we moved into that house. We lived there for three years. And so then in 2008, um, we were asked to go on staff. And so we did that. And that's where we were That's with Ray. <laughs> That's where Ray comes in. <laughs> <laughs> she was part of our youth Bible study there. And, you know, we had such a great time on staff, you know, um, with these young kids that really wanted to do something for God. And it was such a privilege to be able to facilitate, like, a, an environment for that. What year was that. this? It was 2008. Okay. Yeah, so 2008. And we had a lot of just great youth. I think our uh, we had, like, 70 kids in there and just... They're now pastor's wives and pastors and pillars in different fellowship churches. And um, it was just such a great time. We really enjoyed it, you know, and we were discipled by Pastor Greg Mitchell here in the Prescott Church, you know, and and so that was so wonderful to have, you know, that opportunity. So then in 2009, January, is when we got sent out and we um, went up to Utah to Pioneer Church in West Jordan, Utah, um, and when we moved, you know, I had a two year old and a six month old baby. I had my second son while I was actually on staff. I always said, I never want to, I never want to go on staff pregnant. And I ended up doing it.
0: Why? Yeah. Just because of how tiring it was Yeah. Be. Just yeah. the
2: amount of work. But you know, God was like, yeah, that's funny, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, and so God really went before us and he helped us. Was that know. the first
0: time you moved from Prescott? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big thing. Yeah. I was
2: 23 years old. I'd never left Prescott before. Actually, my parents still live in the same house that I was born and raised in. You know, it's over here, you know, and um, they've been there since 81, I think, you know, and so it was just, yeah, it was an adventure getting sent out and and it was a growing experience for sure. You know, Mm. you think you have it all together and then you're like, "Eh, I don't know anything. (laughs) You know, and God helps you and you change, thank God. And, you know, you work through things and um, God really helped us. And we, we were there for two years. Um, we established a church and then um, at conference of 2011, January, um, we were asked to take over a church in Lake Havasu, Arizona. And so we were there for only six months. It was a really short time. That was intimidating, though, because, you know, you're taking over a church that's older than you are, you know, and oh people have been goodness. going to church for longer how than you've been alive. Church? I think about at that time, 35 years old.
0: And how many people are in it?
2: Probably 40, 40 to 45, wow. you know, people. So, you know, you just you're asked to do something that is way overwhelming and you're Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if I can do this, you know, Mm -hmm. but God, he asks you, can you, can you do this? Can you go, you know? And it's just like, okay, God, if this is the plan that you have for us, then this is what we'll do. And God helped us, you know, and we really did see breakthrough and growth there and it was so quick, you know, and, um, you know, it's like, I don't know why, (laughs) We went that direction, but God, you know, deposits Mm -hmm. things into you every time you go somewhere. We were there for six months, and then Pastor Greg called again. You know, you kind of get this, like, it's like, wait, Pastor Greg's on the phone, and you're like, why is
1: he calling? Your
2: ears go up. Yeah, you kind of get this, like, (laughs) so what did he have to say, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and it's like, so you want to move, and it's like. I guess I do, you know? And so he asked us to take over a church in 29 Palms, California. And again, it was just like bigger and more overwhelming than you could, you know, it's just like, um, I think that's kind of outside of my comfort zone. It was a newer church at the time. It had only been established for maybe two years or maybe a year and a half when we took it over. And in that year and a half, the church had grown to maybe like 60 to 70 people, You know, and it's in a military town. And so it's like all these people who are, it's intimidating, you know, and you're just like, oh gosh, I don't know if we can do this. But God, you know, he goes before you and helps you, you know, and just really gives you the grace and the strength to just do what you think is really outside of your comfort zone, you know, and um, we had a really good time there. It was an amazing church and just, you know, amazing, like every Sunday we would have just visitors, you know. I mean, I don't think maybe one or two Sundays where we didn't have people coming into church and just conversions and, you know, young people who really want to serve God. And, you know, it it was hard too because it was military. And so we would get a couple who was really solid and then they would get sent out. But still Mm -hmm. to this day, you know, a lot of them, most of them are saved or in pastoring now or, you know, in our fellowship somewhere. And so that was, you know...
0: That is really cool. It was God. So us. you're saying some converts that you guys had while you were pastoring there would go and then start attending another fellowship, fellowship church, church in yeah. the area. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool.
2: When they left, you know,
0: and Yeah, it's just cool to see that it wasn't for nothing. They didn't go yeah. backslide or yeah, something, it you know, was
2: just, God yeah. plants them, you know, mm-hmm. and in your small part, I always think about that scripture where it's like this person planted and mm-hmm. this, you know, and it was like this person watered and, you know, but, you know, and so it's like, It's not about us, you know, it's not about my people and Mm -hmm. it's the part that I can play in this person's life to help them, you know, and where, where are they at right now? And that's where God needs me to be with them.
0: That is really, I think we should just listen to that again. That was really good. Isn't
1: that crazy though? That's what we were just talking about the Mm -hmm. other day is that how sometimes even you can get discouraged. Mm -hmm. And when we do people's testimony, it's almost never that one person, it's like, Throughout my life, I met this person, or I saw this person, and they yeah. were different, and they witnessed to me, and they loved me, and they all, like, so many people. By the and time then, someone is praying, it's not because your
0: outreach was just so convicting. Right. not, And so you're kind of just like, God, send us the people who are ready. Yeah. That's, that's really yeah. the prayer, because... I used to think it was like so much pressure on us. We got to get the full gospel message out in this time slot that we have this person there. And it's like, you don't know. There's a God that loves them. That's like been drawing on their heart in a million different ways. Or maybe, maybe it's the first time. Yeah. And you're just going to be the person who plants a seed, you know? But yeah, that's, that's really I think a great
2: example of that was a girl in our church. Her name was Tiffany. And she came from a hard life. And so she said that when she was, um, you know, it was maybe like a year before, she said she was back east with some friends and a woman witnessed to her. And she said, and I was so rude to her, you know, and I was, I just was like, whatever, you know, she said. But then she came home and God started, you know, really convicting her. And, you know, she said, I want to be like that. I want to be a woman of God like that. And so she came to church and she was just, she got saved, you know, and she was raw. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. if there's any other way to explain it. I loved her. You know, she was such a wonderful girl. And, you know, we worked out a lot of things and, and it was hard because then, you know, they had to move, but it was like that process continued, mm-hmm. you know, when she was back on the East coast, cause her husband, you know, was in the military. They were able to go on staff. God works. He loves us. You know, he has a plan for everybody's life, you know, and it's just our Our part is just to say yes, that yes, God, I will do that, you know. And when you do that, there's a scripture in Psalms that I really love that says, you know, he will give you your heart's desire according to his will, you know. And what I love about that is just sometimes people think that when you love something, how do I explain it? It's like, I want to do this, you know, I'm so passionate about it, but a lot of time that's, that's actually what God has called you to do. Um, so people have this idea that to do what I love, I have to go against the will of God, but God really loves you. And he wants to give you your heart's desire. And that when you, um, surrender yourself to him, that he, he gives that to you, you know, and it makes you so fulfilled and happy and, and full, you know, and so, um, I don't know if that makes sense. It totally it makes sense. Sense. Yes. Yeah. And so it's mm-hmm. fires, but it's actually also lining up with the will of God, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's like a double blessing because it's like, oh my gosh, I love this, but this is actually what God has called me to do. So at the same time, I'm fulfilling what he's called for me, you know, called me to do. Mm-hmm. So where were we? I think, so we were in Utah or sorry, California, 29. So we were there for three years. And again, one day we get a call. I think it was in October. It was the middle of October, you know. And Pastor Greg called and said, "You know, we we have a need for you to go overseas. Can you do this for us? Or you know, can you do this?" And so, you know, my husband called and was like, "So, uh, Pastor Greg called and asked us to go overseas." And I was like,
1: "No big deal. Okay."
2: <laughs> you know, it was kind of mm. like, and you know, just totally unexpected in the middle of you know October. Um, so we said, yes, you know, pastor, if that's what you need, that's what we'll do, you know. And so he called us on a Thursday and literally by the next Thursday, we were flying out from L.A. You know, we oh had my to. Gosh. It was quick. So know?
0: how old were your kids at this point?
2: So my oldest, Trevor, was eight. And then I had a six year old and then a three year
0: old. So you have incredible kids, like me and oh, David yeah. are just always just incredible kids. They just have a servant's heart, and they're just good kids. They're well rounded. They're cool. They're funny. So how how did yeah, you tell so, them that you're gonna
2: <laughs> move across the world? Yeah, you know, just kind of that. This is what we're called to do. You know, um, it. I don't know. It might not be a popular opinion, but. You know, like this is our life and you're part of our life. And so this is what we're doing, you know, and I, I feel like kids will frame things how you frame them, you know, and so it's like, this is what God has called us to do. And so we're going to do it, you know, and they get on board with you. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're like, oh, this is so terrible and you're going to lose all your friends and, you know, mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, this is so bad. I don't yes. want to leave, you know, but it's like this is a new adventure that it's God is calling us chapter. to. Yeah. yeah. And, um, it was, it was shocking. I think so it was three. She was three years old. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, um, she's 11 now, you know, mm-hmm. so she really, the only place she ever remembers is American Samoa, you know, and being in the islands. And so, yeah, so pastor Greg called in a week later, we flew out, you know, and, um, so in that time we had to transition our church, we had to sell our cars. We had to pack our house. We had to get passports. (laughs) Me and the kids didn't even have passports. You know, we had to drive to LA and in one day we got our passports. Uh, Yeah, it was God, he went before us. And actually it was, it was really good. My husband got a word that, you know, it's not the circumstances that are calling you here, but it's actually me, you know? And so it was so comforting because it was like, I knew that, yes, I am, I'm like, we literally, I, both of us actually, we literally had to Google where we were moving to because we'd never even heard of it before. And so it was just kind of like, okay, well, we're moving to somewhere I have no clue. (laughs) You know, it's like, I I don't know anything about this country. I don't know anything about this nation. But it was reassuring because it was like, it doesn't matter where you're going. It's where God has called you, you know? And so it, it was, you know, so he he goes before you, you know, and he gives you, like I said, grace and sufficiency in him to do what he's calling you to do. And so I thought it was kind of funny. It was to me, it was a big deal is when we landed, you know, you you fly overseas, and it's not the same. It's You're like outside in the airport and it's kind of dirty and you're just like, what am I getting myself into? And, you know, you're kind of like freaking out. And this lady came up to me in the airport when we had just landed and there's hundreds of people around. And she said, are you guys the new pastors that are here for the church? And I was just so blown away because I was like, how does this lady know who I am, you know, and to me, and she was like, "Oh, there's boggling to me," because I was like, "How did you mm-hmm. get out like sore thumbs?" But, <laughs> but to me at that time, it was mm-hmm. almost like confirmation that like mm-hmm. you're not alone in this, you know, and like I've prepared people for you, and you know, it, it was just mm-hmm. like this comforting to me that God, mm-hmm. you know, helped me, and um,
0: I remember. Trying to explain culture shock to somebody before it because you're like, well, what is that? Like you're shocked, you know, it's like I'm like, it's like picture you step into an environment and nothing works the same or looks the same. Yeah. And it's just like the milk is different. Yes. The eggs are different. Like little things that you don't think are anything, but like it's just the air is different. The sun is different. Yeah. It's actually setting different than you're used to sense of humor is different Mm -hmm. what's appropriate is different Mm -hmm. dress code is different yes it's just you're it's you're foreign like it's just a it's a foreign land and you like long for home like deep inside but you don't know how to explain it so it's not like you're over there like well you know but you're just like where am i like Uh the twilight zone or Uh something and then i remember this helping me because then you get used to it and you like are so used to this other culture and in this, in, but you remember America and you have this like Americans either yeah. because you have this different culture uh-huh. that you've been exposed to. And when I was transitioning back to America I remember this lady explaining it to me like you're all circles in America and then you move to a place that are all squares. Mm -hmm. But after you've lived there for a while, you're an octagon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then, but like, then it's only like other octagons that totally get it Uh or something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, Anna Ballinger is Megan's octagon (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) because she understands both worlds. She was my, still is my best friend. And, um. She was my maid of honor in my wedding, and we were discipled together, and we got sent out around the same time. And what's been so amazing is that everywhere we've gone, the Ballingers um, have been next to us within like a 30-minute or two-hour range. And um, it's one of those things that just shows how much God loves us (laughs) because it. It gives um, such a close relationship. You know, she's helped me through many things, um, practical and spiritual. You know, just calling and talking and spending holidays together. When you're living overseas, we were in one island. They were in the island next to us. And it was such an amazing testimony of God's provision, but also just a great relationship. And I just really um, thank God for everything, you know, that he's given me through her relationship. And so it's one of those things that God has given us. And I really appreciate it. Tell us some stories about about the island. So we moved to an island. It's called American Samoa, and it's in the South Pacific. Um, it's People are like, huh, no clue where that is. So yeah, same thing, you know, had to figure it out. <laughs> the way I explain it best is it's kind of down by Fiji, you know. Um, so off, you know, we're just south of the equator there, and it was a very small island. It was um, four miles wide and 11 miles long total. So crazy. Um, 75 square miles, which is like about the size of like Washington DC city, just the city part. Wow. So it had a population of.
0: Oh dear. So you're saying okay. it would fit into Washington DC city.
2: Yeah. Just like the city area, not even, you know, the whole, you know, state, British Columbia state. So it's very small and um, the population is about 40,000 people spread out between five islands. So Tutuila, which is the island that we lived on, was the biggest island. And then there was like four really tiny small ones that you can only get to by boat or um, wow. a plane, like a jungle plane. <laughs> Literally, you know, the little prop planes. And I we visited a couple of those islands, you know, and there's one that has a population of three hundred people, you know, and just so, you know, it was it was a different way of life, you know. Um, I feel like in a way American Samoa was a little deceptive in a way for us I don't know how to explain that, but because it's an American territory. That's what I was gonna ask you about. Explain yeah. that. So, it's an unincorporated American territory. So, Guam and Puerto Rico are incorporated. Um, American Samoa is the only unincorporated territory, which means that their laws can actually supersede United States law. So, that's just what the technical word meaning of it is. Um, it became a territory in, uh, 19- during that time... Germany was taking over and colonizing islands. And they had taken over the two big islands, which is now considered Western Samoa. And they didn't like the direction that that was going. You know, Mm -hmm. um, Germany had plans, obviously, we know. And so American Samoa, the five small islands, appealed to the US government to take them in as a territory. Wow. And so in the America obviously saw it as an advantage, Militarily. a military advantage, mm-hmm. you know, to have a base. So there is a base there. It's a very minimal base, but it's been there since 1900, uh, 1907. And so... Would you run
0: into Americans that were the base?
2: Actually, what typically happened is if one of the people from Samoa joined the military, they would end up sending them back to that base just to kind of keep... You know, mm-hmm. so they understand the culture and everything. Yeah. But it just puts a small presence of, a, mm-hmm. of the United States in the South Pacific. Um, So um, during World War II, there was no fighting that south, but it was actually a defensive move. They could refuel planes and just kind of, it was a strategy. So what that did is it really did change the culture of the island a lot because we It became an American dollar. So you think missionary, you know, I'm an American, but we had those things. And in a way, that's what I mean. It was kind of deceptive because when you get there, you're like, oh, this is just like America. But then after a while, you're like, nope, this is not like America. (laughs) You had almost a delayed culture shock. Okay. You know, because you're like, oh, this is so the same. But then after like a year or two, you're like, nope, this Mm -hmm. is not the same. And that's when things really kind of just set in, you know, and just... You know, you had to learn all those things, the the new way to relate to people and the what's appropriate and the dress and the communication and the just understanding the culture, you know, and um, so, but it was, you know, it was a good experience to, to get to do that. So God, you know, he really helped us with our church. It was an up and down situation, you know, it was like Mm -hmm. it'd be going really good and then it would not be going really good, you know, and just. It was a slow work, and it's like island time. Everybody's her island time. Well, it's mm-hmm. really true. You know, everything <laughs> is really slow, you know, and you just say, like, I just came to expect, like, if you called somebody and said, hey, you know, can you do this? And if they said, yeah, I'll be there in 10 minutes, it's like I would just move it to the next, like category. So that actually means ten hours. And if they say ten hours, it actually means like ten days. If they say ten days, it's actually ten weeks, you know. And it's just you just had to kinda live your life like that. Just really Mm -hmm. like relax and you just kinda have to learn to let go of a lot of things, Mm -hmm. you know, and Fastest we could drive was, you know, twenty five miles an
1: hour. Oh and my <laughs> gosh! See, these are the things. I, okay, you're then. like, I'll just walk. It's like right. culture shock. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: for sure. You know, Re- are you are you exaggerating? No,
2: not at all. No, actually, our average on our car was nine miles an hour. Just over you know your your speedometer kind of collects it and that's oh just what my we came this is where to. people
0: who need to chill need to go oh I yes just, definitely just, just relax go, chill, you
2: know and chill <laughs> take a
0: chill that's funny so i bet service start time well was my husband is
1: yeah. I was going to say, I am like <laughs> laughing internally. I feel like God does this. He I, does.
0: I, I feel like yeah. he puts person like opposite personalities in nations. And like. it's kind
1: of like for both parties to grow. Yeah, I just want to <laughs> like, insert when like Micah would like task us to putting all the flyers back in the same direction. <laughs> like when all the youth was crazy. I mean, I'm talking like 17 years old. You have no concept of order or time. And he'd be like. No, they have to be all the same way. <laughs> we're leaving at 10.30 sharp, and we'd be like, yes, sir, let's yeah. do it. Like, we were so excited. And then I would mess him up just to mess with him and leave. Oh. He's going to be like, you did what?
2: he speaks English there. So when the older generation is not, mm-hmm. you know, very fluent. But a couple, maybe 20 years ago, they started public schools, you had to speak English. And so children's, when they're born up to about age five, they only speak someone in home, in the house. But then when they go to school, it's all switched over to English. And so pretty much everybody is bilingual. So there wasn't a great need to learn, you know, in depth, you know, we, we have our, I call it my pastor's wife, like vocabulary. <laughs> just basically like, come here, sit down, go outside, yeah. stop running. You know, it's just like the <laughs> um,
1: oh
2: They're wonderful people, you know, and they it you know, it was just uh it was an experience. And um it was it was slow, but you know, over time You were
0: there during COVID, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. We were uh nineteen nineteen. So we went in two thousand and fourteen and then covid did hit in 2019 i think um and so actually what happened at that time is they locked our island down so for like a year and 9 months nobody could leave and nobody could come and so we had actually a man in our church who was out visiting his family in hawaii and he literally was gone for over a year couldn't come home couldn't oh my god you know so that that grounded a lot of travel because we would go to Fiji for our conference, you know, every year. And we would go over to our neighboring islands where the Ballinger's were and we would have fellowship and our churches would help each other and outreaches together. But that really put a stop to all that, you know, and so we just, mm. it was just us, you know, we were the only church there. And um, so, you know, during that time, it was good, you know, in the island, there wasn't the restrictions, you were free to live, we didn't have any restrictions because mm. it was we were like a nation unto ourselves I guess mm-hmm. or you know it was one of the last nations in the world that ever got exposed to COVID um and so you know during that time God helps you yeah <laughs> yeah
1: did you get island fever? were you like get me out of here
2: no I never felt like that mm-hmm. I felt like God gave me a project um I actually went back to school which was good because I needed to keep my brain engaged, mm-hmm. you know, and I was able to go and get my nursing degree. And that was a blessing because um, it translates to the U.S. because we're a U.S. territory.
0: Cool. and You guys were still able to go to church and that kind of thing?
2: Yeah. we okay. There was a short amount of time where we kind of like jumped on the bandwagon mm-hmm. with the rest of the world. And like, oh, you know, we need to close everything. But then after a while, it was kind of like we don't have COVID here. So there's not really a need to, so I think it was only for like maybe a month or two where we did remote. And actually what my husband did is he would go to different families' houses and he would say, okay, if you're in this neighborhood, come to this house and we're going to do service together and so he would do like a mini service here and then he would travel in to another neighborhood and or village actually and say okay if you live in this village come to this house and you know we would just kind of do like mini services i guess Mm -hmm. and uh, just to keep people connected because there was no threat of sickness (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. it was more just like i said kind of jumping on the bandwagon
0: bring us to today how long were you guys there and
2: okay so we were there for seven and a half years and because of covid the island was shut down um we when you're a missionary you come back typically every two years um our pastor brings you home so you can come to conference and um you know just stay connected i had surgery that i had to do and you know it's a third world hospital i actually had a baby down there so we had our fourth baby down there you know, you're like,
1: okay. No, I remember hear, reading about all the craziness that you went through.
2: You know, but God really prepared people for me. You know, yeah. I had an American doctor when I had my daughter. You know, that was kind of, you know, he went before me, and it was good. <laughs> I prayed a lot. But so I had a surgery on my wrist, and um, when I was coming out of surgery, they give you a medicine called Zofrin because it reduces nauseous unbeknownst to them and me, I actually have an allergy to Zofrin. And oh no. Yeah. So they gave it to me and immediately, you know, like I had hives running up my arm and like, you know, it just was a really bad reaction. And so immediately they gave me Benadryl. But what happened is in the transition, the nurse or somebody didn't get the note that I had had a reaction to it. And so they actually double dosed me again. (laughs) I know it was bad. And, um, so I was coming out of anesthesia and I went into actually like anaphylactic shock, which is where you can't breathe, you know? And so I remember waking up and I like couldn't breathe. And I was asking, I actually said, I, I want my husband, you know, cause you're, 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 mm-hmm. you're just, you know, and I remember the doctor and two nurses, it was the head nurse and then another one just kind of standing there looking. And I know that they were trying to assess what the situation was mm-hmm. because it was like, what's going on, you know? And in my mind, I'm like, okay, I, I can't breathe, you know? And, um, and so I was asking for my husband at first, and then it was just kind of like becoming crisis and panicking. And in my mind, I was like, I think I'm going to die here. (laughs) You know, like I'm, I can't breathe. This is kind of, and so actually I said, Jesus, you know, and I, I was like trying to breathe. And I said, Jesus again. And literally the second time I said that it was like, a band was, like, cut off my lungs, you know, and it was just, God. it left immediately, and um, it was just, like, this, it was, you know, amazing, it was m- miraculous, like, that's the only way I can explain it, it was, like, a yes. rubber band, it was just, like, it left, you know, Thanks and it Scott. was just, like, this, I could breathe, and I was able to just lay down and relax, you know, and it was just... And so it was like, God, you know, he really, he does. He, he looks out for you. He cares. For, he's a yeah, personal God. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and um, wow. that was, you know, that was really, that's, you know, it sticks out. It was obviously a big deal because it was me, <laughs> you know, <It> was like, <laughs> yeah, sure, I'm anyway. going to die on this island. <laughs> no.
0: So tell us a little bit more about having a baby over there.
2: Uh, okay. So, yeah, after a couple of years, we'd been there, I think maybe two years. Then I was kind of like, you know, I think I want to have another baby. <laughs> when we were in mm. California, you kind of get like. I know it sounds bad, but kind of judged when you have a lot of kids, you know, people are really judgy and they're like, Oh my gosh, you have three children. But yeah. then down there, you know, it was like, what's I the average they have of... three kids, oh. you know, they have like eight, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and yep. so I was like, you know, I maybe it's okay to have another baby. That's why it
0: takes me so long to get places. Come I know. On, eight children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, they all go to
2: dress the same. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll match. Um. And so, did you
0: just say a Samoan
2: words? Oh, uh, yeah, ofu, which is close. All your ofu match. It's oh, yeah. like, okay, I want to have a baby. We prayed about it, I, you know. And so I ended up getting pregnant. And, and immediately I kind of had fires in remorse in a way. I was like, I don't think I want to do this here, yeah. <laughs> you know. But like I said, explain God
0: that to someone who doesn't understand. What, how did the hospital differ from a hospital in America?
2: It's old, it was probably built in the 70s. Um, you're in a tropical environment and so, you know, there's mold, (laughs) it's dirty, but it's not, yeah, there, actually when I was in labor, there was a cockroach, you know, Ah! climbing up the wall, you know, and it's just... It's the environment, you know, it's not mm-hmm. like they're dirty or something, but sure, you're, you're fighting yeah. against nature when you have 80 to 90% humidity all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it breaks down everything, you know, and mm-hmm. so it's not as clean as you think a mm-hmm. hospital should be and the, the pipes are exposed on the ceiling and, you know, mm-hmm. it's just... It's third world. So you just have to kind of go with it. But like I said, God, you know, he prepared. Uh, there was a doctor who was an American. And he was down there for a two-year, world or 2 year, like, um, I think it was called.
0: Internship or yeah, something. Yeah, kind
2: of yeah. like an internship. And so he, I was able to meet him. So he was like, oh, absolutely. You know, and so, um, but the thing is, is it's a very low intervention hospital, if that makes sense. So I always used to say, like, any hippie or, you know, the granola crunchy mamas would love this because it's very minimal intervention. You know, you maybe have an IV when you're having a baby, actually, okay. you know, um, there's no pain medication that's actually available. You- you have to do it natural, you know, on the monitor, you're on for five minutes out of every hour, you know, and they're like, go walk, go walk, go do something, go, <laughs> you know, just to progress your labor. So it's very non-intervention. Yeah, <laughs> I know?
1: remember being so worried for you just because of that. Cause I remember with Seth in my mind, that's my oldest son. I'm like pregnant and you came for an out of town, like outreach. And you're like, have you thought about an epidural? <laughs> and yes. I was like, yeah, I need <laughs> No, 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 no. Just do it. Just yeah. get it. Yeah. Why are you going to be in pain? And I was like, in labor, I'm like, give me the epidural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right away. Right yeah. here. Megan so said did you now. have
0: your hey. other kids with an epidural? Yes.
1: All
2: three of them. Oh. Yeah. And I was like I'm like a big advocate for it. I'm like yeah. do it. It's Hook modern me medicine. Thank <laughs> God. it's a blessing from <laughs> God. Would you go to the God. dentist without novocaine? No.
0: Come on. Exactly.
1: That's how I feel. I know. With
0: my second kid I am like when do you want an epidural? where's the guy like yeah. as soon as possible yeah. Just in the hook me up. yeah
1: i feel like we're gonna get a lot of hate on
2: this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's Anyways. what i mean by buyer's reverse kind of in a way because i got pregnant and then i was like oh my gosh mm-hmm. i have to do this natural i don't have a choice <laughs> you mm-hmm. know but i prayed a lot and god really helped me and i have mm-hmm. to say that i had the whole 33 hours of labor it was long but i was not in pain you know, and, um, what I, yeah,
1: I Wait, know
0: what, what I know. 33 hours. hours of
1: labor. Yeah. And when you were in labor, you had to share your room with other women too, right? Usually you do, but oh.
2: actually I had like this laundry list of things I prayed for, and that was one of the things is that I wanted um my own room. So I got that. Technically, you're only supposed to have one person in the room with you when you deliver the baby, but I wanted my husband and my mom, and so I prayed that that would happen.
0: And oh, your mom came. Yeah, oh, she came thank down. God. <laughs> thank God for mom. Yeah, because she understands you too. Yeah, and you can advocate for you, advocate.
2: I just prayed that they would both be able to be in there. And, you know, circumstances just worked out and they were both able to be in. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to depend on yourself, you know, which is a big deal that, you know, God is going to go before you and prepare the way for
0: you and just. I'm still at the how are you not in pain.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So were you feeling it? Yeah. So, um, and so, you know, I did, I prayed a lot. And so just during her delivery, I really, you know, you have pressure and it was like tightening, but it really wasn't painful. And not totally 100% no pain, but I think maybe two contractions that were just like, ooh, that hurt. And then um, she was born. And so it was just a really, you know, and God had his hand upon the whole thing, you know, and I just knew that that's where we were supposed to be. Like if God has called us here and to take care of us, you Mm -hmm. know, and so she was born down there, my little island baby. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she really, you know, in a way, it really ingratiated us into the culture a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. she became like their baby, you Mm -hmm. know, and uh, I was gonna ask you that. Doesn't she say that she's half Samoan? Yeah, she She says she's Afakasi, which means half, (laughs) half of, you know, cute. And
0: so it's kind of true. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's born there. Do they have is she a um, citizen so actually,
2: citizen? it's interesting. When she was born, she was actually considered a national anybody who's born in a territory is a national and so she had to become a citizen of the United States I always say I'm sorry you can't be the president because you're not a natural born citizen (laughs) she's like oh I wanted to be the president Uh, I'm like I'm sorry she has the kind of personality that would want to be the president (laughs) she's
0: adorable oh my gosh Um,
2: yeah so she became a citizen I just had to turn in my passport with Mm -hmm. her birth certificate and she was able to be granted citizenship but she wasn't born a citizen she was born a national Hmm. wow
0: very cool cool. Um, are you able to tell that demon guy story
2: i can if you want i want that yes
0: (laughs) so um
2: the story is we had a guy in our church who he's actually filipino our island was very multicultural because we had the american dollar we had a lot of people who would live there from china and fiji and the philippines and india and so because the currency is worth more so they would work and then send their money off island mm-hmm. to family back home you know and it that would, makes sense yeah, yeah better better living so he was filipino um, and he had a brother who lived in providence in the philippines and so here's the idea there's a guy named jerry he's filipino he has family back in the philippines and his family had land and the neighbor wanted that land. And so what the neighbors did is they hired a witch doctor to curse Jerry's family. And um, so he said, you need to give us the land or you need to pay us 50,000 pesos or your brother's gonna die. And so actually what happened is Jerry got a call And it was his father who was talking to him. And his father said, you need to give these people this land, or you need to pay them this week out because his dad had died three years before. And so he hangs up the phone and he calls my husband, his pastor, and he says, Pastor, I just talked to my dad on the phone, but my dad's been dead for three years. And so, you know, he just says, okay, Jerry, you know, let's, let's try and work this out. And so he explains to him, you know, about the witch doctor cursing their family and how his brother became possessed with a demon. And he was talking in his father's voice. And so the deal was, you know, pay us this money or your brother's going to die. So he was talking in his father's voice, telling the family, you need to give this land to him. And then he actually fell into a coma. Wait, who? The brother brother fell into a coma back in the Philippines. But before that had happened, his tongue was growing out. It was bad. His, Who's the brothers? The brothers.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the witch doctor had directly cursed that the family, family. And, and he's family by extension, but he's in the Philippines. the Philippines.
2: Yeah. So he saved in our church in American Samoa.
0: And, and his so the family, family had experienced the same thing where the dad's voice yes, was calling him and telling
2: him to, them, to give yeah. the land. Yes.
0: Oh
1: my gosh.
2: And so, um, and his tongue had grown out and actually like 20 something members of the family had manifestations of like tumors growing and pain and just different things, you know? And so they were really in a desperate place. So Jerry talks to my husband and he says, okay, we're going to pray for your family. So gather all your
0: really quick. I just want to get this straight. So he okay. had gone back to the Philippines and no, gathered no, all his family no,
2: over the phone. It was all through translation.
0: Oh, so, so your husband told him to gather his family, family together back in, the Philippines. back in the Philippines over the phone. Yeah. Okay. And so,
2: and we're going to pray for them and so, um, wow, yeah, so you know, it's going from English to Tagalog, which is you know, Filipino, and then on the phone, and then they're translating it to their family back in the Philippines over the speaker phone. So he said, just gather all of your family in one spot, and I think it was like 32 people or something like that. They all came, um, and he led them all in a sinner's prayer over the phone. You know, he said, "Okay, tell them to say this." So then he would say this, and then they would say it. You know, it was like a relay. <laughs> so they all prayed for salvation to get saved, and then um he had he said, "Okay, whoever's the most spiritual, you know, go lay your hand on him." And so it was the mom, she went and laid hands on him, and you know, he prayed. He told Jerry, "Okay, say this." And then Jerry would say this. And so they prayed and his brother um actually was Got delivered, so he woke up. He came out of the coma. All of the family got healed. The tumors disappeared. You know, and um, oh my gosh, yeah. And so you know they were totally set free. It's not, it's not you know your emotionalism or mm-hmm. oh Jesus. You know it was like <laughs> it was. It's the power of God. You know the mm-hmm. words, the power that God and God has. honoring
0: that you would take him at his word in mm-hmm. and not so ideal situations like. God could do it this way. Okay. Get the family together. Let's do it over the phone. You know, this is all we got, but God could still touch them. And he, he he did did. yeah
2: and you know it's cool there's more to the story is so that family there's you know 30 something of them they got healed they got saved so my husband called the fellowship leader in the philippines and said you know maybe you should send somebody just to check on them and so a close church i think it was maybe about an hour away started sending somebody they would start a bible study and then they actually sent out a couple and there's now a church there And. It's mostly comprised of his family that, you know, it just came up from this, you know, deliverance and Wow. Yeah, it was it was really
0: cool. That is You know, really God just
2: planted a, a church in that city because his family, you know, responded and
0: That's amazing.
2: Yeah.
1: It's like what the devil wanted for that. Yeah, God, God, God the used for yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That is yeah. crazy. They can build a reference point on that land right there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> How, did his that tongue is just crazy. get healed or what? Yeah, like I mean, he just
2: got delivered. All of them, their fingers were growing out longer and shorter. And yeah, just what they all the... got delivered. And...
0: Okay, so this is my theory. Mm-hmm. I feel like in third world, they're really scared of the devil. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like his strategy over there is fear of yeah, curses and, and all that. In America, we act like he doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't manifest the same way here. Yeah. I think. I think he manifests in a lot of like, you know, drugs and prescription drugs and, mm-hmm. and things like that. There's definitely a spiritual realm here and then yeah. especially on the reservation and stuff. But in general, we're like way more skeptical of now it's probably something practical. Overseas, it's like, no, that's the devil. This is you know, I just think it's weird because it's bad to not think the devil exists at all Mm -hmm. because then you're not fighting him on his grounds. Yeah. But then it's also bad to be so in fear. And then he manifests himself like all crazy.
2: Yeah. And that's so when you tell
0: people you, they have power over the devil. It means so much, almost more to them overseas. I feel like. Yeah. Like they used to shout it in church. Yeah. When they say in the name of Jesus, that part they always shouted. And that was one of the things that I'm like, what the
1: heck, you know, but they'd be
0: like, and it was just like, and then, you know, and they were just so excited about the fact that they had power over the devil. Yeah,
2: it's true. So, um, kind of give a little how we came to today Mm because we're obviously not there anymore. Um, so with COVID we shut, the Island got shut down. And so we weren't able to have a furlough or come home for, it was going on almost three years or two and a half years. Wow. And so my husband talked to pastor Greg and just said, listen, we'll come home, but it's a risk, you know, mm-hmm. just because of everything. And so he said, yeah, but we don't know if it will be harder to come in the future, you know, so let's just plan it and we'll come home. So we actually, um, we were coming home for a two week trip for conference. Uh, there was a flight once every two weeks. Um, they just barely started opening up the nation cause it was in 2020 that, or it was, what a gosh, what year are we in? We're in 2022 We're in So COVID started in 2019.
0: No, 2020.
2: Well, it was very end of 2019. Actually, you or, know, it was oh, like okay. December. Yeah. So it started right at the end of December 2019. They shut down the island. That's when they oh, did. I and so for a year and nine months, nobody could leave. Nobody could leave or come. And so, um so then, you know, it, it started to open in August of 2021. So the, the border had only been open since August of 21. And then we came to conference in January of 22. So it had only, and it was barely open. Like you have to register, you have to take like seven COVID tests. You have to take 2 weeks of quarantine in Fiji or Hawaii and then 2 weeks of quarantine in American Samoa. It was not like a hey the borders are open just come home. It was a very very vetted Strenuous. process, yeah. yeah. And so um we left for conference in January of 22 and the risk was if you get covid, you get kicked from your flight. And so we came for conference and
1: actually all six of our family got covid. <laughs> And some of you weren't even like symptomatic. Yeah, so it, I was mean, just, it was just yeah. I'm like you guys are sharing COVID. This. <laughs> it
2: was so we got dropped from our flight, and um, the earliest we could go home was in April. And so we came home for a trip for two weeks. We are now staying till April. All of our stuff is still there. Thankfully my parents have some Airbnbs and so we just kind of started jumping around between their Airbnbs. And, they were couch surfing. Yeah, we were we were
1: Airbnb surfing.
2: <laughs> you know, and it was really uncertain. You know, it was just like this is not what we were planning. We actually had said, you know, we'll just continue. This is actually going really good. We had just our our landlord in American Samoa had just said, We will build you a church building because we were outgrowing our building, you know, yeah. and she was going to finance the whole thing. And we had just finally got a second pastor who came to pioneer next to us. And so he landed in December with his family. Um, They were going to start a church in the village next to us, you know, and we were going to have somebody to co-labor with. So they landed in December and then we left in January. And wow. so, you know, we were going to go back. We were going to help them build their church. There was going to be two potter's house churches in American Samoa, you know, and, um, but God had other plans. So we came home for conference. We got stuck. The first flight we could have was in April.
0: And that was just because they were only doing Doing limited flights. One
2: flight every two weeks. And there was, you know, a lot of people trying to get back home. People who had been stuck off Island, you know, for Mm. over a year, like this man in our church, you know, just couldn't come home. So we were looking at four months of staying there. And then in March, we had a community transmission of COVID on the island. And so that was the first case that the island had ever had. And so what that did is it shut down the nation. They closed their borders again. They said, nobody can come. Nobody can, you know, so it's like, We have our whole family here, you know, and it's just really everything is just up in the air. Like, I have no idea what we're going to do. Are we going to try and wait? Are we going to go home? Are we going to, you know, just no idea Mm -hmm. what to do. And so just
0: practically, how many pairs of clothes, like how many outfits did you have for your kids? none. (laughs) Because
2: we actually live in a tropical climate. And so, you know, we came home in January, so Mm -hmm. I literally brought nothing. I mean, we brought... Underwear and some socks and, but I had been calling people and just saying, hey, if you have any clothes that you're gonna get rid of, could you just save them because we have no winter clothes. Yeah, it's
0: like you want to go buy winter clothes if you're going back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So just
2: you know, I had people giving me bags of clothes for my kids for our trip just because I didn't want to go out and spend a bunch of money to buy Mm -hmm. winter clothes just to give them away because we have to have all summer clothes in the island. You know, so we brought one suitcase each with us on our trip. Because when I'm home, I usually shop and I pack boxes and take them back.
0: Go back with it. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, you know, it was just really up in the air. And so we made the decision, I think in April, it was the beginning of April, that this just isn't working for us to get home. And so, you know, another way God provided is there was a pastor there. And so we had to just kind of over FaceTime tell our church that, listen, we're, we're sorry, but, um, you know, just getting home is not happening. And so, We're going to have to just transition the church to Pastor Ruben in April, you know. and um, So the
0: new pastor that came ended up inheriting your church. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. But
1: that's a miracle in itself. After all these years that somebody was there just in time to pioneer, just in time to, like, because otherwise they would have just been kind of abandoned. Yeah.
2: And and it's interesting because in June of the year before is when God laid on his heart to go to American Samoa you know it was just so random Wow! and so he got announced in July and actually for six months my husband pulled every string he could because the nation was pretty much closed you know there was a couple Mm. little flights and in December is when he was landed and so it was just a couple weeks right before we left you know and um, what
0: a trip so you over FaceTime tell your church Yeah, but you have your entire house there.
2: So all of our stuff is there. Um, Oh, it's still there. Oh, well, so actually (laughs) the pastor and his wife and their family pretty much sold everything, you know, and, um, packed just a couple boxes that they actually mailed to us of, you know, just sentimental, Mm -hmm. the Christmas ornaments that you can't replace and you know, your kids Mm -hmm. make when they're five and, you know, and just uh, things like that. And so they're irreplaceable things. And so they boxed that up and mailed it to us here. And so this is where the house comes in again. So when I was 18 years old and God told me to buy that house, you know, for the next 15 years, we rented it out, you know, and I really look at it as it was like God's house. We never had problems. We never had a lack of renters. We never had anything catastrophic, you know, it was just God really.
0: And what a blessing to have that income.
2: Yeah. And so now the market the housing market in Prescott is just out of control. You can't rent anything for less than 2,600 that would fit our family, you know? And so it's like, here we are 15 years later, we're back in Prescott, you know, and now we have a place to live, to go to, um, you know, God provided that for us before we even knew, you know? And so it was just, he
0: orchestrated the steps of where we're supposed to go. And how much did you buy that house
2: for? It was like Do 100,000 dollars back in the day. And <laughs> yeah.
0: how much is it worth now, would you say? Uh,
2: I don't know, quite a bit. We actually did a remodel on it and it was a two bedroom, two bedroom, one bathroom, and so now it's a three bedroom with an office and two bathroom, you know, so it's, yeah. it wow. fits our family.
0: That's so cool. Yeah.
2: So then my husband started evangelizing, which you know, it was a big deal for him because his father was an evangelist for... Explain that. what that is. In our fellowship, we have pastors or, yeah, they're pastors who actually live here in Prescott. But then they travel to all of our churches around the world and they preach a revival. And then we'll be home for two weeks or they're gone for two weeks and then home for a week. And so my husband, his father did that for 25 years when he was eight years old is when he started and he became an evangelist and so his whole life he was raised
0: as his dad as an this is an uh, evangelist evangelist Dennis, Dennis right
2: and so a couple years ago god started laying on his heart about evangelizing and he just said you know god if that's what you want me to do then you're going to have to orchestrate it cuz it's not going to be something that i'm going to that i'm going to push do. for yeah exactly yeah. that i'm going to push for and so when everything happened and we ended up here, it was like, well, I guess God is orchestrating this, you know, no choice but to stay, you know? And so in that time, it was a lot of turmoil, a lot of unknowns and a lot of what is going on here, you know? But my ho- my husband and I both got words separately about that. This is what God is planning, that this is God's design, Um, that this is the next step in your ministry and that, that this is what's going to happen, basically. Wow. You know, and so God gave us a piece about, okay, mm-hmm. this is what this is what God is calling us to now, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we have to just say yes,
0: I guess. I remember when you guys were still here, conference had passed and stuff. And, you know, I heard that you guys had a And then I remember my husband telling me, yeah, Mike is talking about taking the shit back. <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> so just felt... Like I just left my church, like it was supposed to be two weeks and it's all this time. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being like, there is a special kind of flexibility that's required when you're in the ministry, because really at any time, like usually conference time, but really anytime,
1: anytime, yeah,
0: you could get a call and it could be like, your whole life is going to be different. So you kind of just have to think of it like chapters, like this is the chapter I'm in. I'm going to give myself to it. Who knows how long it's going to be. I feel like I used to know how that was because mm-hmm. that's how my life was, but I've been in Prescott now 10 years and never moved as long as I've ever lived anywhere, yeah. ever.
1: That seems like a lot of stress, you know, too. and
0: yeah. then it's yes. like, you know, I see Anna and Megan over here and they're just, they're hanging out and they don't even know what's happening the next minute of their life, <laughs> you know, and all their stuff's like in another country. It's really admirable. Yes. And I think God gives you the ability to do it because he calls you to it. It's an adventure
2: it's yeah. your perspective you yeah. know in yeah. a way I you could hate it or you could just embrace it and mm-hmm. and when you trust God and you just say this is what he's called us to do mm-hmm. he's gonna work out the details I just have to be submitted to mm-hmm. it you yeah. know and it'll work out how he's planned it was kind of a weird place to be because it was like well anywhere whatever I, I mean we could literally go anywhere in the world that you want us to that's fine that's if that's what you want to do But I'm happy that we're here.
1: (laughs) I know. I was real worried. Thursday night, I told you, because I was not in conference when they officially announced you guys as evangelists. And I was, like, stressing all Thursday, like... Oh, here they go again. They're just gonna peace out because Mike goes messing with everybody. He's like, forget Friday night. I'm leaving Thursday.
0: It's cool cool that you get to be back here after all this time, and your childhood friends are all here, and your parents. Yeah, isn't that
1: crazy how it's all come connected? Yeah, Yeah,
0: it has. Finish that evangelism story. So he says that? that he's not gonna push it. Uh You're going to have to do it. And then God literally orchestrates this. Yeah. When did he ever go to Pastor Greg and say, I think you need to be evangelist? Or was it Pastor Greg who said it?
2: So when we got stuck here Mm -hmm. at conference, it was kind of like, this might happen, you know? And um, so he talked to a couple of pastors and just said, listen, if we get stuck here, would you like to have a revival? And so they booked him. And so... It was significant because his first full revival was actually in the church where his dad preached his last revival because his dad passed away about five years ago, I think it was. And so he was preaching in Texas at a church and he got sick and he passed away. He wasn't able to finish his last night of revival. And so... When we got stuck here, he went, my husband went to the same church in Texas that Mm. his dad preached his last revival at Mm. and he was able to preach his first there. And so it was just, that was really significant, you know, and it was, you know, just, I don't know, a complete circle there, you know, and,
1: um, And he's gotten so many words of caring, like he's going to get his father's mantle which it, I, I feel like if you've never heard Dennis Wright preach, you don't understand him. Yeah. You're like, this is huge. This is not yeah. a little thing. You yeah. know, Dennis Wright was a uh, Wasn't there amazing. something
0: with his age too?
2: Yeah, there was. So his dad started evangelizing when he was 37. And my husband actually got announced on his 37th birthday, <laughs> you know, and
0: so it was just crazy, you know, all the
2: little, mm-hmm. you know, coincidences or whatever, you know, and so it's an, it's a new chapter, like mm-hmm. you said, and we're just at the beginning of this. And so when we decided that it just wasn't going to work to get back to the island, I think that was in, in April and Pastor Greg said, just, you know, book some meetings and see what ca- happens, you know, and we'll announce you in July as evangelist. And so God provides, you know, and he's filled up his calendar for years, thank God. Mm -hmm. And just all the doors and all the things that have opened, you know, it's just, you have to just say yes, you know, and just go through it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and God helps you, you know, Mm -hmm. when it's too big for you, it's just too much or it's overwhelming. It's like, you have to just trust that this is, you know, he'll provide everything that you need, Mm -hmm. you know, and your life and um and so yeah it's been going good right now he's in south africa you know and it's just been so cool yeah it's been a a really cool you know
0: just ride i guess i don't know how to explain it but and it's cool like you think if god wanted him to evangelize i always think about evangelists too it's not easy to have your husband gone yeah it's really cool that you're here yeah for sure with your family and like friends and every season god calls you to something hard but then he also gives you all the tools to be able to do it, you know? Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is cool, and I think I speak for everybody in the Prescott Church. You guys have been such a huge blessing for us. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, Micah, Megan, I feel like it's cool because when I got saved as a teenager and you guys were on staff, Micah would be like, hey, you want to come on outreach? I'm like, yeah, sure, sounds good. Hey, you want to come to this? you want to come to this? And then you were pregnant with Daniel. I have Mm -hmm. pictures with you and but now it's cool because it's like we have kids the same age and like you are such a blessing in my life and like looking back and then right away i remember micah's like yeah i went to pastor jesse and told him what do you need me to do i'm available and he like if he was a teenager disciple like that's just how i was man he's just he doesn't care that he's been pastoring or this or that or i'm the i'm an evangelist he's like no what do you need Mm -hmm. you know you need me to move chairs and then it's cool because your boys have that same spirit
0: Totally, like they're just
1: like what do you need you need me to set up chairs you need me to take down chairs and your girls i feel like they feel
0: uncomfortable if they're not doing something helpful (laughs) but it's
1: so cool because it's like we needed that and then but it's cool too because like yeah even micah like with how he is he i remember even kenny being like i i feel like i just need to like ask him stuff because you know even if i want to do a healing crusade or whatever why am i not utilizing these people who want to help who want to impart so it's just cool and then the girls of course are near and dear to my heart my buddy bree she, oh, she loves me and Paisley, paisley's just sweet she's just anyways I don't know. I feel like I had to go down everybody in your family, but I'm all, your mom? Oh, man. <laughs> have you ever gone camping with her? <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm just kidding. All right, I'm going down very quickly downhill, and it's going to end up we don't want it to. <laughs> I remember when uh, when you came back for a conference one time, you guys, I can't even remember what church you were in. I think it might have been Lake Havasu. And so it was early on, and you came back, and I remember I was telling you that, that my husband felt called to preach and I feel like it was such a big thing in my head and I was like and you're like just love God and love people and you'll be okay and then you just walked away and I was like (laughs) okay I think I can
0: thanks for coming on Megan
1: thanks for having me
0: (laughs) and now it's documented